Our text today is a new text as we begin a new series for the fall season. This series will lead us up into uh, Thanksgiving time. So for the rest of this month and October and up the week or two into November, we'll be studying the topic, a new topic. Our text today is in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and chapter 16. Our new topic is the life of David, the life of David. And so we'll be considering that for the next few weeks, thinking about what God did through and with David in hopes that we will learn good things for ourselves. I grew up on a dirt road called the Sour Springs Road. And my father worked for the National Wildlife Refuge there. And so it was because we lived down in the swamp and because my father loved wildlife, I got to see and do things that most people never get to see or do. I have slept all night with a fawn sucking on my ear. Most people have never done that. I've helped to band mallard ducks and blue-winged teals. I've climbed on top of a cage full of turkey buzzards and smelled their rotten stench. I've ridden in an airboat through the swamp and netted ducks as we drove by them in the middle of the night. And that's something most people don't do. I've seen the flight of the woodcock in summer as a little bird goes circling higher and higher and higher, almost out of sight, and then like a dive bomber, he comes straight down to earth, lands on the ground, and then he does his little dance on the ground, and he does it over and over again. I've watched my father blow a whistle, hold his arm out, seeing the great horned owl come out of the darkness, flying in the darkness silently and land on his arm. And I found the nest of a rough grouse on the ground in the spring, so perfectly camouflaged that all you could see was the bird's head, his eyes and his beak. I've seen white-tailed deer completely submerged in the swamp with nothing showing but just their ears and their nose. And I've seen the scarlet tanager at the height of their migration. I've watched an ermine playing in three feet of snow, having the time of his life. And lying still on the ground, I had a deer sniff the top of my head. A multitude of unique experiences with wildlife that most people never experience. So I was convinced very early in life that God was full of creative ability, and that his creation was to be admired and loved, and God was to be seen as a creative artist whose artwork was on display to those who would seek it out and be convinced that God was a God who paid attention to detail and whose loving care was extended to all his creatures, great and small. And as Jesus said, if God watches over a little sparrow, he will most certainly watch over us. It's a good lesson for a young boy to learn, and I'm thankful for those early years when I saw God's word world up close and personal. So as we begin our 
new series, we find in our text a great anticipation, an exciting introduction. But, oh, wait a minute. The guest of honor was nowhere to be found. The whole party had to be postponed. The main attraction is missing. So let's see how the story begins and who sets the party in motion. Now, my friends, we are about to be let in on a secret. And it's a secret so deadly it could kill you. First, we're going to meet a man named Samuel. And Samuel is listed as one of the top three in the Old Testament who had a special ability. As a young boy, Samuel went to bed one night and he heard someone calling his name. Then he came, went running to Eli the priest and said, I'm here, you called. Eli said, no, go back to bed. And the second time and the third time he heard somebody calling his name. And finally, Eli the priest told Samuel, if you hear that again, don't come to me. Just say, here I am, God. And that's exactly what happened. And so it was that Samuel, as a boy less than 10 years old, had a conversation with God. For the rest of his life, he talked with God on a regular basis until he was known as a person who had God's ear. Of course, my friends, that's why humans were created. You know that, I assume. God came every evening and walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. It was his intention to talk with every human who ever lived. But sin came along and made us hide from God. Samuel was one of those people who loved to talk with God. And God told him one day, Saul, the current king, is rejected from being king. I have chosen a new king. And so Samuel went to tell Saul the message he got from God. I'm in chapter 13 of Samuel, verse number 13. Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Samuel went to Saul, told him very plainly, you are not doing what God wants. You make bad decisions. God rejects your behavior. God is looking for someone after his own heart. God's looking for someone to do God's will, someone who will listen to God and serve him willingly. So Samuel says, Saul, you've done wrong. God is not pleased. Now, my friends... The natural response to that should be, I've done wrong. I need to do better. I want to be a man after God's own heart. That would be the correct response. Human nature responds much differently. Saul's response is that <coughs> something that we would think would not be logical. Now let's see what happens. Over in chapter 16 now. 
1 Samuel chapter 16. I'm looking at verse number 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go, I will send thee to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with thee, and say, I'm come to sacrifice to the Lord. Call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. Thou shalt anoint unto me him whose name I show unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, came to Bethlehem. All right, so he goes, God tells Samuel, go to Jesse's house in Bethlehem, and I'll tell you what to do when you get there. Now Samuel has already told Saul, God rejected you from being king. And that God wants a man to be, quote, after his own heart. And God's chosen a replacement who in God's eyes is perfect for the job. And Samuel says, if I go and anoint Saul's replacement, Saul is going to kill me. And that's Saul's response. Instead of saying, I've done wrong, I've got to try to do better, I've got to try to do what's right. No, he said, I'll kill anybody who tries to help the next king. So God says, go with a heifer, take a cow, and say that you come there to make a sacrifice. Which means, after the sacrifice, there's going to be a feast. You're going to have a cow to eat, so I'll have a feast. And go to Jesse's house for the feast. Then I'll tell you what to do when you get there. So Samuel, who always trusts God perfectly, goes to Jesse's house, not knowing the name of the person he's looking for. Now verse 4, Samuel said, to the, uh, did that which the Lord spake, came to Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, comest thou peaceably <laughs> Samuel is known to be a man who spoke with God. And sometime when Samuel spoke, God sent along thunder and lightning. There were some places where he spoke and thunder rolled through the heavens and the people were terrified of it. And so when Samuel comes to this little town of Bethlehem and they ask him the question, do you come in peace? Sure, sure, with a little smile, he says, I'm just going to have a sacrifice and a feast. And he calls Jesse and his sons to the feast. Now remember, it's a secret. Nobody knows just Samuel and God and you and me. Don't tell. Samuel has come to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the new king. It's a secret. And so there begins a series of introductions. Number one, Eliab, the eldest son, verse 5. He says, Peaceably I am come to the sacrifice to the Lord to sacrifice with me. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons, called them to the sacrifice. It came to pass, when they were come, they looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. 
But the Lord said to Samuel, Look not on his countenance, nor the height of his stature, as I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. There he stands, this young man, Eliab. Probably over 30 years old, in the prime of his life. He's tall, he's handsome, he's a fine figure of a man. And under his breath, Samuel looks at this magnificent fellow and says, that must be him. In verse 7, the Lord says, look not on his countenance, I have refused him. Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on it. My friend, God has his way. Even for someone as experienced as Samuel. And God says to Samuel, I want you to learn to look at things differently. I want you to try to see things the way God sees them. I want you to look inside, not on the outside. And I ask you today, my friends, how do you look at life? How do you see things? Do you see what God sees? Or do you look at life through your own eyes? God wants us to look harder and to concentrate and to look deeper. It says in the New Testament, let this mind be in you that was was in Christ Jesus. Or you need to learn to think like Jesus did. So often in life, the troubles we have are because we have a shallow point of view. Our relationships are strained because we only see things from our own viewpoint and our own perspective. And God says, Samuel, look deeper. Look and see what I see. Tall, dark, and handsome isn't what we want. No, Samuel, it's not Eliab. It's not him. Verse 8, Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel he said, neither had the Lord chosen this. Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And he said, neither had the Lord chosen this one. And finally, in verse 10, again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. Six more sons, six more possibilities, six more powerful young men, and six more rejections as God whispers in Samuel's ear, No, 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 no. Verse 11, Samuel said to Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. Behold, he keepeth the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. Samuel says, must be another one. All seven of them are no. Must be another one. Well, yeah, there, there is another one. He's not here. He's not here. Well, didn't I call for your family to attend the feast and the sacrifice? Where is he? Well, he's tending sheep. Now, Samuel, who has kept his secret so far... Learns that there's one more son. Oh, good, he says. Bring him out. Bring him out. Well, he's not here. He's tending the sheep. So introducing, can you imagine in his mind, introducing the one 
the only, the great son of Jesse, the man of the hour, the honored guest. No, he's, he's not here. He, he's not here. Oh, my friends, it's just perfect. Just perfect. God is trying to see, teach Samuel to look at things differently. Jesse's family is invited to the sacrifice, to the feast. Everyone comes and steps up for an examination and an introduction. Seven sons already willing and able, but there's one more. Oh, we forgot him. He just tends sheep. He's at the bottom of the pecking order. Matter of fact, we never even thought about inviting him to come. Where is he? He's tending sheep. He doesn't live here. As a matter of fact, I guess you could say he's homeless. Nobody pays any attention to him. He wanders around through the hills, goes from place to place. He sleeps on the ground. Yeah, he's homeless. My friends, that's the way... The family looked at David. Here's the way God looked at him. Verse 12. He was sent and brought him in. He was ruddy with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. He's ruddy, or in our language, he's got red hair. I always like that about people. Some of you don't know, I'm a redhead. Told my grandchildren that, and they said, no, you're not. (laughs) Inside, once you're a redhead, you're always a redhead. And then it says he's got eyes, or his countenance refers to his eyes. Oh, but he sees with those eyes what nobody else can see. Yes, he was homeless. The poor fellow sleeps on the ground. But that's not how David saw it. He laid down on the ground at night, and he looked up at the stars, and he didn't complain and say, I wish I had a pillow. No, he looked up at the stars, and he saw God. And he said, the heavens declare the glory of God. Day unto day utter a speech. There is no place where that language is not heard. And as he was looking up, he wrote Psalm number 19 while he was sleeping on the ground and looking up at the stars. He went wandering like a homeless man over the hills and valleys of Bethlehem with his sheep. And he saw God there too. And he said, Oh Lord, as he looked over the mountain, Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And he wrote Psalm 8 as he wandered over God's creation. What was he doing? He tended a flock of sheep. And he saw God when he looked at the sheep. And so he wrote, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. And he restoreth my soul. He wrote Psalm 23 while he was attending 
his sheep. And 4,000 years later, God's people still look up in the night sky and say the heavens declare the glory of God. I said it just the other night. I looked out at 3 in the morning at a star-spangled sky. The heavens declare the glory of God. Why we sang a song, a spacious firmament on high, all the blue ethereal sky, spangled heavens, a shining frame, their great original proclaim. The unwearied sun from day to day does his creator's power display and publishes to every land the work of an almighty hand. Heavens declare the glory of God. I said it when I looked up at the scars. And when I remember driving through Yellowstone Park for the first time, and I saw the elk, and I turned a corner, and there was a great waterfall, and then I went a little farther, and there's a geyser, and then a hot spring, and all I could say was, Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Every turn, every turn I made, quoting what David wrote 4,000 years ago. And for hundreds of years, people have stood beside the grave of their loved ones and read the words, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David's inspiring words from Psalm 23. He was a teenager, maybe 16 years old. But he saw what nobody else could see. Yes, he was homeless. Yes, he was considered by his own family and by his father to be insignificant. Not worth noticing. Certainly not important enough to come to the feast. But in God's eyes, he was the great anointed one. He was God's own favorite. And God gave him a gift. He gave him the gift of music. And he saw God in the stars and in the rolling hills and in the shepherd's care of his flock. And he began to write music coming from his heart. And he poured those words into music. Some people have that special gift that comes from God. They can hear what others cannot hear. Beethoven, as a small boy, ran to his father and said, Father, Father, it's thundering in E-flat. He heard what nobody else could hear. Handel's housekeeper came to his house one morning and saw him running around the house crying his eyes out. He'd just written the hallelujah chorus. He heard what other people couldn't hear. And David wrote, clap your hands, you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph, Psalm 47, because he heard what nobody else can hear. What a young man. He's a teenager. So full of God, he can see things like God sees them. He hears what God hears. He feels no anger or no bitterness because his family pays no attention to him. Or even if they think he's insignificant, it's no problem. For David, after all, has caught the eye of God. His music caught the ear of God. And God said, there's a man after my own heart. I just love that homeless, insignificant shepherd boy. I love 
Oh, my friends, how do you see the world? Is it all trouble and trials? Is it all strife and stress? Or do you see what nobody else can see? Do you see God as a king? Do you consider it your mission in life? To do whatever he says to do. Is God that all important, most essential thing in your life? Has he changed your point of view from homeless to heavenly? From insignificant to incomparable? From ignored to ever blessed? Can God call you someone after his own heart? Do you seek after the answers and look at things the way that God says are important? Have you learned to overlook outward appearances and focus on the inward heart and mind? Can you see what nobody else can see? David, a teenage boy, saw what others could not see alone in the wilderness with his sheep. He sang to God. He sang about what he saw, and God looked down and said, there's my choice. That's my boy. I want him to be the king of Israel. And he's so in tune with me that someday, 2,000 years later, I will come to the earth and live among people, and I will consider it an honor when people call me the son of David. So it was David, uninvited to the feast, is actually the guest of honor. When he finally arrives, God says in Samuel's ear, there he is. He's the one. Verse number 13. Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So the secret is out. David is chosen to be a king anointed by Samuel in front of his brothers. And you might think, there, now David will get the respect he deserves. Oh, no. (laughs) Not for one moment. Jesse and his seven sons will not learn to see things like God sees them. Man looks on the outside. God looks on the heart. David has a long road ahead of him. But when you see God everywhere and when you love to please God and come what may, it's more important to you to do the will of God than any other thing. That's why David is a man after God's own heart. Oh, that it would be true of us. Oh, that we would learn to see things God's way. May it be your desire to be a person after God's own heart. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words that come to us, inspire us to believe. We think of Saul who did just the opposite from believing. Help us, Lord, when we hear to look and see what God would have us do and then to be willing to do it. Put in our hearts that special heart attitude that God loves, that God can look down and say, there's a person after my own heart. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In closing, I'd like you to turn with me in your hymn books, if you will, to hymn number 225. Standing as we sing in closing, hymn number 225, Take My Life and Let It Be. Standing as we sing, 225, Take My Life and Let It Be.
225. perspective of everyone around us, not with an earthly look, but to look at all things in the way that you have been a mighty creator and you have done mighty things and that you have great work to do in our lives. We just pray that our hearts would be soft and ready to listen, ready to see what you want us to see, hear what you want us to hear, and speak and sing how you want us to. Use us in a good way in a mighty way, and help us, Lord, to be soft towards you. We thank you for blessing us each and every day beyond what we deserve. We are thankful for all that we have, and we just pray that you'd protect all these people, bring them back safely to this place. 